1: We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Su Politics.
0: Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live, to our choices around marriage and family. But we have
1: more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false
0: dichotomies, we explore
1: the messiness of living wisely.
0: Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. This is episode six, and we are so excited to be here. We're going to be tackling a timely and hot topic, which is Santa Claus. One of our listeners asked, could you talk about Santa Claus? Whether you do Santa Claus, how you do Santa Claus, um, how you deal with when your kid doesn't believe in Santa Claus anymore. But we wanted to take it a little bit wider for people who um, don't have kids or um don't uh, subscribe celebrate to Christmas? C- c- celebrate Christmas. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about just sort of the role of magic and myths and storytelling in our lives in a in a bigger, broader way. In the first section of the show, we're going to talk about some um, really good feedback we've got, and then as always, we'll end the
0: show with um, a closing thought.
1: So Beth, you want to uh, share your piece of feedback? first.
0: Yes. We got so many wonderful emails. I wish we had time to go through every single one of them. I have been reflecting a lot on a message that we received from Liz and specifically Liz said that when her first daughter was born, her mother gave her the advice that as the mother in the family, you set the tone. If you want a peaceful family, be peaceful. If you want a kind family, be kind. If you want capable and competent children, teach them to be capable and competent. I love that. And I've been thinking about how the environment that we create is usually less intentionally created than Mm. some of the ways that we interact with our children. We read books about like how to discipline or how to teach a specific skill or whatever. And we focus on our words in those specific moments. But I don't think that I have thought about just the overall tone of the house in the way that Liz framed it up. And I, I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really easy to just fall back into reactionary mode as a parent instead of like an intentional mode. It's really hard to do that. I'm not gonna lie. It's hard because they're little and they're super demanding and um you're tired all the time. So <laughs> it's really easy to just default. And I really think that's true. That I mean, intentionality versus like a default reactionary mode, that, that's just a human condition that is um, important for all of us to work on. And it, it, cause it's so easy to react instead of being like, wait, what do I want to be? How do I want to be as an employee? How do I want to be as a wife or a partner or a mother? It's just, it's, it's a, it's a big one, but it's January. So it's time for all of us to start thinking about that.
0: <laughs> all the big things. Well, I was thinking about your statement on our last episode that you shouldn't spank your kids.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: I have spanked my kids, right? Oh, I, I spanked, have too. I have spanked Ellen. I have spanked Jane, my older daughter. And I was thinking about what's different today from when I made that decision. And I want to say first, I'm not sure that I really made that decision. I think yeah. I felt desperate and did it because mm-hmm. I didn't know what else to do. And I regret it. I can't even put into words how much mm-hmm. re- I regret that. Not because I think she's scarred or something by it. She's not it was totally ineffective. Oh, the bigger nice. thing is that it was not who I want to be as a parent. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I were starting with Liz's advice, I might avoid that desperation more. And I feel like I'm doing a better job of that with my second child. Um, our friend Mandy asked me, so like if y'all don't spank and you don't do timeout, what do you do? And I really have thought more about just I haven't framed it up the way Liz did here with you setting the tone, but I have thought a lot about how when I discipline my girls, I am really just not going to control their behavior or how they feel or their mood or how they're expressing themselves, but I can control me. And so my goal is always, how do I get out of this interaction proud of the way that I behaved? Cause that's the best I can do most Mm -hmm. of the time in any one interaction with my kids. I think about uh, one
1: time I had this thought and I turned it into an Instagram image because I was so proud of it. And I thought it so well summed up the lesson it took me too long to learn as a parent, which is I'm a much better parent when I'm enjoying parenting and not trying to perfect it. You know, when I am out of my head and just, you know, like you said, trying to be a mom I can be proud of and the big picture, as opposed to trying to get every individual decision right. And again think this is applicable just in general human life, even if you don't have kids. Um, But it is, it's a hard thing to do. There's so much pressure and, you know, you love them so much and you want to get it right. And when you do mess it up and you yell or you hit, it just... It's so painful to think back on, but they're you know we're all so flawed, and it's I, there's so much grace we need to give ourselves as parents because I do think it opens up the space to uh, to just allow some breathing room because you cannot be that calm present or be that kind present or leave that interaction proud of yourself if it's everything's tight. You know what I mean? Like if you're in your head beating yourself up all the way to like if you're running late if extenuating circumstances if your anxiety level if you know all these things that weigh on us and they just they make things tight and i feel like you need space to leave interactions with your kids proud of the parent you are and i think that's always the tough thing cuz some things some of the things that are making us feel tight are things we have no control over. We have a sick loved one. We're tired. We are sick ourselves. And it's just, it's just hard. It's just
0: really, really, really hard. I'm good at this with adults. Like I've done human resources work for about five years, and I'm really good at knowing with other adults that I cannot control people People mm. are formed. They are what they are. And the best that I can do is interact with them in a way that I'm proud of. And hopefully that influences them positively. So I I have like got that down with adult humans, but with my children, I think there is this sense of like, well, I'm supposed to be molding you and shaping you in some way. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing more and more. And Liz said this too, that children are not an amalgamation of our parenting choices yeah. They're individuals and their lives are their lives. And if you think of your kid as an extension of you too much, she said, your child becomes your work product. Yeah. But when parenting is a relationship, your child is another human being. So to get to Mandy's question about discipline in more detail. So I have a two and a half year old right now. And we have mentioned before, I think on Pansy Politics, we both have two and a half year olds. They are both bananas right now. They're terrorists. temper tantrums, mm-hmm. dictators mm-hmm. want to control everything in the house. Can't control themselves at all. I'm so much better this time than I was with my older daughter at understanding that she cannot control her emotions. Mm-hmm. I really get this time that this is like the caveman brain developing. Yeah. And she just can't. And that's okay. And so I'm not going to try to get her to come out of the floor kicking and screaming. I'll get yeah. down in the floor with her, put my hand on her back, say, do you need anything? Can I help you? And if I can't, then I'll say, I hope you feel better soon. Let me know if you need something and, and walk away and do my own thing and leave her there. Yeah. Now, when she does something wrong that she needs to learn is wrong. If she hits, she likes to pull her sister's hair. You know, if she does something like that. I pick her up. I tell her that she needs to apologize. She usually tells me some version of a vehement. No. And then often will hit me again or something. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the two of us together go away and we sit together. And I tell her that we're sitting together because what she just did was hurtful and it's okay to be mad, but it's not okay to hurt other people when you're mad And that we're going to sit together until she's ready to say she's sorry and play again. And sometimes that's a long time, but it's okay. And I have figured out that staying with her when she's upset makes me more proud of myself as a mom than fighting the timeout battle. And I don't like restrain her in a crazy way, but it also kind of establishes like I am in charge here and you are not. And I respect where you are, but you're going to respect where I am, too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's really working. And I feel so much better about it than what I tried with Jane. Yeah.
1: Um, I yeah. Look, I don't have a, a definite approach. I won't say I'm winging it, but a little bit I'm winging it in that I don't think there's one answer. Like, I can't give you an answer for. What I do with my kids, because what I do depends on the kid and on the situation, Um because I try to tie any sort of consequence very closely to the action. So um I don't spend a lot of time yelling at people to get coats, because if you're cold, that's your business. Mm-hmm. And I don't um spend a lot of time. I mean, I just... If you haul off and hit your brother, we have a talk about keeping our hands to ourselves. We have a talk about, no, like, people don't want to be around people who hit. So if you like playing with other kids, you're going to keep your hands to yourselves. Um, If we can't pick up our toys, then we lose the toys. If we um, can't come downstairs and get dressed for breakfast because we want to watch TV, then the remote gets taken away. So I, I I listened to a positive parenting woman one time who I really like and I can't remember the name of it, but she has a podcast and she called it mama bearing. Like sometimes you just kind of have to mama bear them. Like you just kind of have to shove them in the direction you want them to go and kind of keep their paws out of the place and bite them in the neck and drag them over to the other side. You know what I mean? Like it's like, there's especially with my middle son who is very easily distracted he takes a lot of mama bearing, like just a lot of like, okay, let's get your pants on. Like my oldest, I can just sit up and be like, go get dressed. And he goes in and gets dressed. It's like amazing. Middle son, not so much. Mm-mm. Not going to get dressed, going to need some guidance. And so I just think it's, it just, de- you know, it just depends. And with a two-year-old, I I'd really, really like the Happiest Toddler on the Block by Harvey Karp. So I do a lot of that, like the I want Eggo waffles. We don't have any Eggo waffles. I want Eggo waffles. So I let us spend a lot of time saying, I, you want Eggo waffles. You want Eggo waffles. Making sure he gets like, I get what you want. I can't give it to you. Um, And I've always found that to be a really good approach that works a lot of the time. And also distracting them because they're two. So I do that. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed about it. It's just a, you know, cobbling together of approaches. And channeling my inner Daniel Tigers mom.
0: I do that kind of I hear you business too a lot. And I I even do that with my six year old. Yeah, I I understand that you're upset. And this is why I I get it. And I think telling them that has been helpful. And we talked before about just like speaking our own emotions. And I'm finding that my kids have picked up on that. And that's been really helpful to you. I agree with you. There is not like a way. And I think that's part of the problem with timeout. I feel like you're sold this idea that that's the way. Yeah. And if you do timeout consistently, then everything's going to be magic. And that's just not what I found to be the case. And and so going back to Liz's point, like committing to timeout made me not set the tone for my house that I wanted mm-hmm. because it felt really militaristic or something to me. And that's just I'm just not interested in that. So I loved Liz's email and I really appreciated it. And I know Sarah, you got some parenting feedback that you yeah, enjoyed too. Yeah, we got too.
1: A, Yeah, I got a great email from Mandy and she talked about our conversation and she said it made me think of an article I read a while back that was very instructive for me as a parent. It's by a Christian author named Jen Wilkin, whom I admittedly know nothing else about. But she said she discussed how it might impact our parenting if we view our children as our neighbors. I thought this was a very interesting idea and she said it reminded you of your reminded her of your be careful friend when in traffic. And she said, when my children are my neighbors, I have more grace for the meltdowns and everyday situation that they're simply acting like children. Maybe most importantly for me, this perspective pushes me to apologize to my kids when I messed up, just like when I go to a neighbor who I have wronged. Viewing your kids as neighbors isn't the perfect analogy, but it really has given me a lot to think about. That's so true. And it's really funny when you were talking about Jane pulling her hair. Like, I have so much more patience for, like, other people's kids. Like, I just want to be like, or Ellen pulling hair. I'm like, yeah, I feel like pulling people's hair, too. And I've just restrained that instinct. But I understand where she's coming from. Like, I feel that way a lot about other people's kids. <laughs> but your kids, it becomes so much about you and how people view you. And I think that's part of the way uh, why that's so helpful just to think of them as a neighbor. Then then it's not a reflection of you. Because when your ego gets wrapped up in parenting and when you're, like, worried about what people are thinking or you're in a public situation, oh, man, that's when I've made my my most terrible decisions as a parent.
0: You know where I think that neighbor thing really comes up? is in mom guilt. We have talked a lot about how I don't do mom guilt. And I think that if you think of your kid as a neighbor, both in terms of having grace for them, but also in terms of giving them space, it's helpful. So I've watched so many moms dropping their kids off at preschool or even like kindergarten and showing their kids through their own actions that this is like a devastatingly sad moment. Yes. In a way that's super unhelpful to your kid going off and having a great day. (laughs) And I think that if you could think of your kids more, I mean, this is what I do, like with my infant to my two year old to my six year old, when I drop them off, it's like, I'm going to work and so are you. And we're all going to go have great days. And we're going to come back together and talk about it at the end of the day. And that'll be special because we'll have all these different experiences to share with each other instead of, Oh my God, we're going to miss each other so much, even though I feel that way some days, like save it for the car y'all. I mean, it's just, it doesn't model for your kids. I think the kind of attitude that you want them to take into their day. And I feel like. That neighbor perspective is a good way to maybe reshift your focus.
1: People do that with food, too, when presenting food to their kids. Yeah. You'll be like, well, you might not like this. Why would you ever say that? Don't ever, ever, ever say that. Like, I put just food in front of my kids' plates, and they eat it or they don't. But I don't ever, I don't even, I'm not selling it, and I'm not warning them either. It's just food. There will be another meal in, like, two hours. We're Americans. We eat all the time. So I'm just, I'm putting it down. Make your choices. See you at the next meal.
0: With everything. Like if you're trying something new, you might be scared. No, just try it. See yep. how it goes. Let's, let's talk there's about it afterwards. Tiger. You I believe that there's a Daniel Tiger song about this. <laughs> yeah, I think there is like a try something new kind of song.
1: There's also I'm, a try it. You might like it on Yo Gabba Gabba. Try it. I think you'll like it. Lots of trying songs in the preschool programs.
0: I mean, maybe the neighbor philosophy gets to how if you can just be neutral about most things you put in front of your kids, it allows them to be their own person about it. Yeah. Right. I'm neutral about the food. I'm neutral about this experience. I'm neutral about this game we're going to play. Um, I'm well, neutral like about a, your day.
1: It's like a neutral confidence, though. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Like they got to feel like I always tell people, babies, especially I feel like this about newborns, like they can smell your fear, y'all. They're like dogs. You have to be super chill and super confident with a newborn. And they will also be like, "Okay, this person. And I think this is true of kids generally. Like they they are little, sometimes don't speak at all, don't understand everything being said, like they need to feel like there's somebody in the room who knows what's going on and who is presenting this as something that can be trustworthy. You know, like the second my kids pick up on, like, I'm worried about the reaction, it's over. They can sniff me out and it's done.
0: That is a thousand percent true about bedtime. Oh, yeah. If you act like bedtime is a big deal, it's about to spiral out of control on you. Yep. Believe me, I've been there. I've walked that road.
1: They're like spies. Like, they just have a really good sense of, like, the environment and when there's a weakness.
0: We are so chill about bedtime now, Chad and I, both chill and rigid. It's (laughs) like, you will go to bed at this time. It will not be a production. You need to do it because you work better this way. And so do we. Our whole family operates on this schedule and this is what we're doing. And we're not going to have a bunch of nonsense about it. Jane has tried a few times to come in and like, I want to sleep with you. No. Oh, because you no. sleep the best in your bed. Ellen wants her door open. No, you sleep the best with your door closed. And we just don't make it a thing. It's just like, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And they fall in line when we're, when we're calm about it. When we've yeah. gotten mad, the no. whole thing escalates really fast.
1: Then they sense it. Then they're in, then they're in for the struggle. Yes. They're in for the struggle. My favorite bedtime story is, um, Felix started going five, five more. no, three more. What was he saying? Was it five more minutes? It wasn't five. It wasn't a, it was a weird number. Four more minutes. It was four. Four more minutes. (laughs) And my friend said that her toddler grandson would say he liked to watch um, Bubble Guppies. And he'd say, three more bubbles, no cry. Like, three (laughs) more episodes and I won't cry. And I was like, that kid knows what's up. That kid has got it down.
0: Yeah. And the response just has to be, nope, it's bedtime. See you in the morning. No,
1: no, that kid is a master negotiator. That kid's definitely getting to watch more Bubble Guppies.
0: (laughs) Well, we are going to talk more about kids and hopefully uh, take it in some other directions as well in our main segment today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Maggie asked us about Santa Claus. And then, of course, as we do, we started taking that in a lot of different directions. But we'll take it back. Sarah, what are your feelings about Santa Claus?
1: I love Santa. Santa's awesome. Um, I have some strong thoughts about the quote-unquote usage of Santa. Like, I think that there is a very important role for in our lives, and especially the lives of children, but everybody, for sort of storytelling and magic and... You know, I think that there's a primal desire to gather together as a group and decide on a story. And we don't have a lot of those left, so I'm pretty protective of the ones we have. Although we seem to be coming together as a culture and deciding on Harry Potter, which I'm here for. I keep thinking, like, they'll fade, the movies are over. But, man, we are here for the Harry Potter magic, and I am here for the Harry Potter magic in a huge, massive way. And I I just really—I love it. I think it's important to— Suspend disbelief, not be—this is a a debate my husband and I get into a lot. Like, we don't have to be snarky about everything. There is a place in life for pure enthusiasm and positivity. We don't need to be snarky and cynical and roll our eyes at people who enjoy the fun and magic of things like Santa or the Easter Bunny or Harry Potter, as the case may be. I think it's important. I think it feeds a basic need
0: we have. And I think you could sub in, if you don't celebrate Christmas, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, like all kinds of magical things that you introduce to your children.
1: I mean, we do it all kinds of places. Mother Nature. We like to so, personify all kinds of things.
0: I, I love the shared story. I love the tradition. We do Santa Claus in my house. What I am against a little bit is deciding that the magic has to be extreme in a way that becomes stressful for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I'm also against it as a tool of manipulation, which I think is where you were going as well. Like I am not into, you better be good or Santa's not going to bring you anything. Okay. So
1: in a hormonal outburst, when I was pregnant with Felix... I pulled Amos and Griffin aside and I was like, listen up, spread the word at school. It's all a bluff. Everybody gets presents. Spread the words to your peers because it's exhausting. Just stop doing that, you guys. First of all, no one believes it. No one knows a kid. There is no kid. There's no even we don't even get urban legends because nobody ever sk- actually skips the presents. Now, I'm sure we'll get emails me like my parents did that one year, but I mean, it's all a farce. Those, like we talked about, kids can smell it out. They know everybody's getting presents.
0: The bigger thing for me about it is that when Jane stops believing in Santa, I want to have the conversation about Santa that is, this is an expression of our love for you. And I want to be able to do that without it being like, our love is conditional. Right. (laughs) And so I don't think I can have the conversation that I want to have about what Santa means. If I use Santa as a tool of coercion.
1: And I just think that there is. Okay, so here's the thing. As is my way, I'm probably going to sound like the conservative here. I think with the. What it kind of exhausts me is about the Santa things is when people, you know, sort of opt out in a very heavy way. You know what I mean? Like. If you don't celebrate Christmas are fine, like fine. But if you, I know I have some families who like very loudly don't do Santa for sort of a, a mixture of reasons. And they sort of want you to like, don't get in their fa Like, don't let your kids tell my kids about Santa. Like, look, there's the communal aspect about this. Right. And I feel like you know it can definitely feel oppressive to people who don't celebrate christmas and we can talk about that but like if you celebrate christmas this whole like the, the i guess the sort of like internal battles about the way dif- pe- do people do santa differently that part is particularly exhausting to me like we're doing this together as a big old group it's going to get a little messy it's not always going to go the way you want some you, like your kid might find out about santa way before you want him to or people might you know, lie about Santa. People might do Santa like in different ways. We're not all going to have perfect control over the storytelling, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, as is my way, I'm very hold on loosely about Santa yeah. because it doesn't matter to me if Santa wraps gifts at your house versus not. Yeah. And all of that stuff. Like, like we're never going to
1: work out all that. Everybody's going to have to be a little chill about that.
0: And I, keep But people all that are not easy. chill
1: about Santa. They are not.
0: I am very chill about Santa and I just tell my, my girls, I mean, Jane is really the only one who's, who's talking about this kind of stuff now, but about all of that, I just say, listen, Santa's got a lot of people to take care of. So we help mom and dad help Santa. We all work together. It's cool. So we might do it in a different way here than at your friend's house. No big deal. That's part hear of the a, fun.
1: You want to hear a little sad divorce kid story? That's how I figured out there was no Santa, is because my mom never wrapped the presents. And I spent my first Christmas with my dad after they got divorced and he wrapped the presents. And that's how I figured
0: out there was a Santa. Aww. There was no Santa. And then a sad little divorce kid. I don't remember it. I have no memory of it, but it is pretty pitiful. So my parents set me down when I was like, I don't know, nine or 10 to tell me that there wasn't a Santa because I was still fully participating. That's old. And I knew that there wasn't, but I loved the whole thing. Yeah, and I just wanted to stay with it. And I cried, and and they were like, "Did you really not know?" And I said, "Of course I knew. I just <laughs> I enjoyed it." <laughs> Why
1: did you <laughs> in my, my childhood, have mom and dad? <laughs> well, and I just think, okay, are we going to talk about the elf?
0: Yeah, let's talk about the elf. Let's just
1: okay. do it. Okay, everybody, this is a very controversial topic. Okay. <laughs> again, I am not opposed to adding another communal storytelling aspect. I do not think we should shame people for wanting to do the elf. Like my friend Jessica wrote a really pretty, really beautiful post about like she had fertility problems and she only has one child. And so he's in first grade, I think, and she still does a really big deal elf situation. I'm talking Pinterest everyday worthy elf situation. And she's like, Like, I'm not trying to shame you. Don't roll your eyes. This isn't about you. This is about, like, I only have one kid, and I want to do it up as much as I can. And, like, just don't make it about anything more than that. So so I think that people that really like the elf get shamed. I think other people that feel shamed into the elf is completely unnecessary. I wish everybody would stop trying to control their kids via the elf or Santa Claus because, y'all are all bluffing your kids all know it it's not working anyway but the elf isn't I, we have an elf in my house he does not show up actually he was supposed to show up yesterday and i forgot um but i'm just gonna write the letter that the elf didn't know we'd moved so i got it all planned out but we only do it i bought an elf from a store i did not buy the book i did not want to follow that lady's rules so my elf only comes for a week which is about as much like it's kind of fun for approximately seven days like thinking up silly gigs for the elf to do seven days worth is about fun and the kids are off for part of it. It makes it even a little more fun. The whole t- the whole rigmarole for like a month, I could not do, but it works for our family. It's fun. It's not a big deal. We don't take it too seriously. Um, and so I think like, you know, let's all give grace. If you want to do the elf and you want to do it up, that's fine. If you don't, that's okay too. Everybody,
0: I agree. I'm so you do you about all of this. We do. I bought, I think the elf is kind of creepy looking for my taste. So I bought this really cute little snowman. We call him Snowball. He shows up on December 1st. All he does every day is pick a new hiding spot. And so the girls get up in the morning. They see where he is. It's a fun game. Some days they don't find him. I feel really proud of myself on those days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we he just
0: got a different spot every night and it's fun. And we write a letter with him at the beginning that says Santa sent him and he is excited to watch them have Christmas magic this year. That's it. I think that you should do what's fun for you as a parent. Like the people who do it up with the elves, as long as we're all recognizing that that's a lot about the parents having fun, I think that's super. Yeah, so It's that's the same way I feel too. about kids' birthday parties. If you as a mom or a dad enjoy like the production of a kid's birthday party, have at it. You just don't have to make it mean anything else. If you don't, and you go to frozen yogurt or a jumping place, like feel fine about that too. They're going to have fun either way. Doesn't matter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They really just want the cake anyway.
0: And the presents. That's right. All the presents. And that's, that's what I think about all this tooth fairy Easter bunny, like whatever traditions you have or don't have in your house. I think that if you can just have fun with them, you're doing your part. What I do not love is the whole shaming of people who do any of these traditions from the lens of, well, I don't lie to my kids. Yeah, that bugs me. I think there is a big difference between storytelling and Mm -hmm. lying. Now, I don't lie to my kids in the sense of you need to stay in your bed because there are monsters under it right. Or you can't eat that because it's poison. Like I see people use lies the way I would use distraction or just a simple, no, (laughs) you know, I don't like that. Um, that that's not going to work in my house because I do want to establish those boundaries with my children. And I think that that's an important practice for us being told. No, I think is important. I think it's hard, and that's why it's so important. And and I don't feel compelled to give a why that is compelling or um, sensational with everyone. I'm a terrible in my nose. liar. I don't know how people think so
1: quickly on their feet. I'm just bad at lying. I
0: can't think up stuff
1: like that. I just usually tell them the truth. I'll never forget one time we were in the parking lot and somebody said something about happy hour and Griffin went, what's happy hour? And I said, it's a time when uh, adults gather to drink alcohol for cheaper. And my friend was like, I can't believe you just told him that. I'm like, what was I supposed?" tell him it's the truth and he was like he doesn't care like i kind of feel like what people don't realize is like you can almost tell them like the most graphic truth and they will take in the percentage of it they are willing to take in and they will f- totally forget the rest if it's just a passing comment now like you can't traumatize them but like often they'll, you can just be like like i definitely told griffin about sex when he was like four he does not remember and did not register it like I just said it real simple, like, oh, well, this is what happens. And that's how the babies come. And he was like, what? And then he got distracted and he walked away. and He didn't even remember it. You know what I mean? Like they kind of like take in what they're capable of taking in.
0: I think this goes beyond parenting. I think truth can be told in appropriate ways for the situation. Almost always. And I also think that you become good at what you practice and so if you practice telling your kids you can't eat that because it's poison, like you're going to get better at coming up with that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you practice, you can't eat this because it's almost dinner time and I don't want you to ruin your appetite. And here's where babies come from and what's happy hour. It's where adults get together and drink things that you'll get to drink to when you're older, if you choose to like, you'll get better at saying those things. And I think mm-hmm. that's true with the adults in your life too. Like you don't, I'm kind of against the idea of white lies because I think the truth can usually be said graciously. And so I guess my suggestion is just to practice that over and over.
1: Well, I had a big debate several years ago with a dear friend of mine about Santa and he was just adamant that participating in Santa was lying to your kids and worse, it was perpetuating The belief in the fantastical and that's why people, that's why we had, you know, this doubting of science and we had people that didn't believe in climate change. I mean, he really, he went all in. And I said, look. You are not going to sit down with your two-year-old and explain that Elmo is not real, isn't, and is in fact a puppet with somebody's arm up his butt. Okay, like you're not going to do that for a lot of obvious reasons. One, he won't understand even if you do, because developmentally he's not capable of distinguishing the two facts. And two, because on a whole range of issues from childhood to adulthood, from zero to ninety-nine, we sort of. We don't see the world in this harsh science-based reality. Like, if you believe that, then do you believe that you love your spouse or do you acknowledge that it's a complex mix of hormones driven by the evolutionary need to reproduce? Like, of course not, right? We don't, we say we fall in love. We don't say we are pheromones, we smelled each other's pheromones and we're pushed by the scientific urge Hidden within our hormonal structure, you know, like we don't do that because that's that sucks, and nobody wants to think like that all the time, right? There's all manner of sort of stories and myths and magic we attach to things that, if we really wanted to break them down to the cold, hard reality of the science of what's happening would it would be a depressing way to live your life. <laughs> and so, yeah, I say in one way that we do that. But it's, you know, I think that ki- parents have told their kids myths and legends to teach them how to be good people and the importance of giving or to scare them away from things that were dangerous for a million years. And we're going to keep doing it for another million years. And I think that's because we have a there's a real human need there. To create stories about why the sun rises and the moon sets and why um, we celebrate this time of year, whether you celebrate it as Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Christmas or solstice or whatever, right? Because the days get shorter and it gets darker and we need some stories to light the night. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: And I want my kids to think in layers about things. Mm my church right now is revisiting the story of Christmas and there's a lot of discussion about geography and how this could have actually happened and sort of what the history is. And I think it's super interesting. I mean, I love geography. Like I love a good map showing me like the proximity of Bethlehem to Nazareth and all that Nazareth and all that jazz, I, I can get into that. But every week I've been sitting there taking that in. I'm very fascinated by it. And, and I'm, I'm learning a lot from the ultimate point of each of those messages. But I do have this feeling every week where I think to myself, do I believe that this actually took place? You know, we're talking about it like a historic event. Do I really believe that? And I usually conclude not really. And it doesn't matter to me at all because that's not the point. And that's how I feel about all of the things that we use truly as stories with our kids to illustrate these big ideas. I mean, that's, I think Santa is a really big idea and I want to be able to sit down with Jane someday and talk about what that big idea means and to have her get the layers of that in a way that will prepare her for other things in life that have a lot of layers to them.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that that's right. I mean, everything is complex. And sometimes we use science to understand them. And sometimes we use emotions to understand them. Sometimes we use relationships. Sometimes we use experiences. And sometimes we use stories. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the stories change over time. I think that you have absolutely seen a shift in the Santa narrative as our culture has modernized and pushed more of an emphasis on consumerism. Could we rein that in? Sure, let's all do that. Let's all do that in our own ways. But you know, shaming—it ain't Santa's fault. Let's just put it that way. That we took that turn—that surely that that was not um, Saint Nicholas's doing.
0: I think the reason to have some magic in life too is to help us. I think magic is closely related to gratitude Mm. and that your experience of magic as a child hopefully can translate to moments of stepping out of yourself as an adult. I had one of those moments today. Um, Once a month, my family and I helped deliver groceries to senior citizens. And we had a new person on our route tonight that we had never delivered groceries to before. And I went in her apartment and I was unloading the bags of groceries I have never seen the level of joy that she expressed with every item that I got out of the bag. Mm. I mean, her eyes lit up over like grape jelly and peanut butter and just these kitchen staples. She was so delighted by it. And the biggest reaction that we got from her was from the frozen pizza. And I was standing in her kitchen thinking to myself, I just want to commit right now, one, to never look at a frozen pizza the same way, because she is reminding me how unbelievably fortunate I am and how easily I can take things like this for granted. But I would love to be able to capture this, this magic that she feels about this, this frozen pizza, which she sees as a gift right now. With every kind of dirty dish and glass of water and meltdown that my toddler has, you know, if I could bring that level of magic, even a tiny bit into my everyday life, I would be a much better person.
1: Are you looking for that zeal of the converted that I bring to every new thing I discover? (laughs)
0: Of course. (laughs) Listen,
1: I am an enthusiastic person. I like feeling like every new thing, my, you know, my husband is very different for me. But I think the way I am is better is what I'm trying to break down for y'all. I just, it's fun to be enthusiastic for about things. It's fun to look at Christmas lights and be like, these are beautiful. Cry a little bit. Feel grateful for your life. Listen, I do that like six times a day. I highly recommend it.
0: And so I hope that we are giving our kids some of those skills right because those are skills being earnest is a skill being earnest that's i am having a sense of wonder is a skill um having gratitude is a skill and i hope that i hope that with mythology which i do hold separately from just out and out lying i hope that mythology helps build some of those skills absolutely planning for your next trip
1: So next up, we are going to share a little closing thought before we wrap up. So for our closing thought, we decided to read the letter that made its way across the Internet um, as an expression to how to tell your child about the, the quote unquote truth about Santa it's such a beautiful letter. I actually read it to my son when he um, discovered the tr- quote unquote truth about Santa <laughs> um, dear, from a friend. So we're just going to read it now. Dear Lucy, thank you for your letter. You asked a very good question. Are you Santa? I know you've wanted the answer to this question for a long time, and I've had to give it careful thought to know just what to say. The answer is no, I am not Santa. There is no one Santa. I am the person who fills your stocking with presents, though. I also chose and wrapped the presents under the tree the same way my mom did for me and the same way her mom did for her. And yes, daddy helps too. I imagine you will someday do this for your children, and I know you will love seeing them run down the Christmas magic stairs on Christmas morning. You will love seeing them sit under the tree, their small faces lit with Christmas lights. This won't make you Santa, though. Santa is bigger than any one person, and his work has gone on longer than any of us have lived. What he does is simple, but it is powerful. He teaches children how to have belief in something they can't see or touch. It's a big job, and it's an important one. Throughout your life, you will need this capacity to believe in yourself and your friends, in your talents, and in your family. You'll also need to believe in things you can't measure or even hold in your hand. Here, I am talking about love, the greatest power that will light your life from the inside out, even during its darkest, coldest moments. Santa is a teacher, and I have been his student, and now you know the secret of how he gets down all those chimneys on Christmas Eve. He has help from all the peoples whose hearts he's filled with joy. With full hearts, people like Daddy and me take our turns helping Santa do a job that would otherwise be impossible. So no, I am not Santa. Santa is love and magic and hope and happiness. I'm on his team, and now you are too. I love you, and I always will, Mama. Oh, so sweet. And I gave my child a little Team Santa shirt. He loves being on Team Santa now for his little baby brother. So thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. Until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.